It's Friday, January 22nd. No. No, it isn't. Am I in the wrong file? You are in the wrong file, yes, because mine's the 29th. I'm in the wrong script. <laughs> yes. Flying start. It's Friday, January 29th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, a master's student in civil engineering and a vain day hater. And with me today are Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Haggis correspondent, and Shanae Bostas, contributing editor at Dutch News and Snowball correspondent. Interesting. Why am I the <laughs> Snowball correspondent? Well, you asked a lot of questions about snowballs in the group chat uh, the other day. Oh, that's true. Yeah, someone was in court, but someone was reporting that they were there because they were throwing ice baller. And I said, what are ice baller? Why are they throwing ice baller? <laughs> yeah, someone was uh, someone on the museum plan, one of these writers was arrested. And uh, in the list of the reasons why this person was arrested uh, was also that he uh, was throwing ice balls to mm. uh, police officers. And you were like, what, what, what's that? But, you know, <laughs> when you when you have a snowball and you squeeze it really hard, it becomes an ice ball. And yeah. then uh, it's, it's, it's a very dangerous projectile. That's not a riot. That's fun. <laughs> no, no, no. Getting an ice ball against your head is not fun. <laughs> did you, did you never experienced this on the plane? ground at school or something no then you're the lucky one here on this podcast <laughs> i like the fact that an ice ball is listed as a weapon in a in a court summons very thorough kind of dutch thing uh paul, paul what's uh, also beef with fan day given that um that they went bust several years ago but you still seem to be uh, despising them beyond the grave <laughs> yeah indeed yeah someone tweeted uh, a lot of photos of this very nice quiet city center on uh, sunday morning and I thought, well, this this looks like a very nice uh, town, and I didn't re- immediately recognize it. So I googled one of the names of the of the pubs that uh, that was on the photos, and it turned out to be Groningen, which was uh, which is a very nice mm. city. So if it you is. ever have the opportunity to visit it, go there, even though it feels like it's half towards Siberia. Well, it's two hours drive away, which for Dutch people is is like you pack your sandwiches, and it's an expedition. Exactly. But yeah. In other countries, it's a commuting distance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they indeed. have good uh, ice balls up there, though. <laughs> yeah, so far north it is. Yeah, indeed. Um, and then I uh, uh, was uh, street viewing uh, in Groningen because you know that's what I always do. And then I ended up in one of these very nice little streets and all these nice, nice little buildings from the 16th and 17th century. And then I moved the camera a bit to the left and I saw this ginormous concrete box uh, with Vn Day uh, on it, <laughs> with the logo of the uh, of the Vn Day uh, on it, the former department store, completely ruining uh, the whole street, in my mm. opinion. Yeah, I, uh, I I tweeted about that, and a lot of people were complaining about the Vn Day monstrosities in their cities. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm not the only one. Right. So this is Vn Day's legacy. To, to the Netherlands, lots of ugly buildings, lots of empty ugly buildings. I think, apart from the from the German Wehrmacht, the Vn Day did the most damage <laughs> to uh, to inner inner cities of the in the Netherlands. That's my that's my theory. Yeah, shame the rioters didn't get them then. Exactly. Yeah, they sh- we should have just sent them to the Vn Days. Indeed. And uh, Gordon, you spent your week eating haggis or reporting no, about no, it, or not? Not the whole week. No, I ended up on um, uh, on, on on broadcast Amsterdam's radio program uh, to talking about haggis and Burns Night on Monday because I managed to get as we discussed last week i managed to get a haggis imported 
uh, yeah. for, for Monday, which was, which was some feat. Um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of just uh, yeah, filling in on all the kind of uh, ceremony and tradition because haggis is a very ceremonial dish, which you, which is mainly because it's uh, yeah because it's quite um, yeah it's not it's not the greatest culinary um, uh, delicacy. <laughs> so you kind of make up for it by adding silver platters and bagpipers and uh, and uh, yeah and, and poetry by Robert Burns. So yeah, did so you anyway. manage to? F- did you manage to smuggle a bagpiper over the border? I didn't manage well, to smuggle or? a bagpiper. No, uh, there are bagpipers here, of course. I could have hired Rita Fedonk, as we discussed. She's famously a uh, bagpipe uh, player, but uh, she was she was otherwise available. I thought haggis was that um, type of the meal that makes you vomit. You know, when you think about what's in it. I think I think that's what you have with the haggis, which is too much whiskey. Actually, ah. to be fair. But <laughs> But I, I went easy on the whiskey because I was having it with my children. I was indoctrinating them. But in it's, the it's ha- sheep's intestine, isn't it? What it's it all in? kinds of various parts of intestines. I think there are lungs in there. There's a uh, uh. yeah, mixture of lungs, liver, basically all the bits that you you don't put into um, real food. You do, it's what, the what, Scottish version of a fricandel. Yeah, yeah quite right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I also have an exciting bit of news this week because I finally, finally um, concluded the long saga of getting my Dutch driving license. Oh, so, <laughs> so I now finally have a piece of plastic that says I can drive. This has taken about the best part of three months to walk to a range, I think. I um, have a very important question to ask. <laughs> does your driving license have a T on it? It does have a T. I can drive a tractor, yes. So you can uh, protest on the Malifeld. Yep. Uh, oh, fantastic. I can still I can join Farmer's Defence Force. Yeah, I'm fully equipped. <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations with your driver's license. Uh, it's been uh, how long have you been uh, trying to yeah, get one? Yeah, I think I started this in October, and uh, yeah, it's, oh. it's, it's been a real grind. And I actually couldn't. And then it took four weeks after I'd applied for it to arrive, so I had a month when I couldn't drive a car. So it's hmm. been sitting outside. Not that luckily it was in the middle of lockdown, so I had nowhere to go anyway. But that could have well, been inconvenient. That brings us to uh, the OPEF of the week, and um, as everything, uh, the OPEF is also related to the curfew riots, which dominated the news in the Netherlands this week. Uh, we will uh, talk about that more later in the podcast, so uh, stay tuned. Uh, Gouda police chief Ruud van S tweeted a photo on Wednesday of a bouquet of flowers sent to the police station by a grateful citizen who wanted to thank the police force in their efforts to keep the city safe during the curfew riots. However, in the background of the photo, an enormous banner saying NOS is fake news could be seen hanging in one of the police station's walls. Uh, the tweet was soon deleted and replaced by a photo uh, with uh, without the background, but journalists have already screenshotted the deleted tweet and started to post outraged tweets yeah, complaining about uh, the police. NOS is fake news is a slogan that is often used by conspiracy theorists, and a recent increase of aggression towards journalists by people using the slogan has led to, for example, the NOS uh, deciding to take off its logo from satellite fans and other journalistic equipment. NOS reporters were also attacked with pepper spray by people in Urk last weekend. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a serious uh, problem. The police apologized for displaying the banner and emphasized it had been confiscated from a protester and does not reflect the police's opinion. Well, it makes a change from having a uh, calendar full of nude women, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... Um, 
I think this banner is just uh, a spoil of war, right? They they confiscated it probably from an aggressive person, and they're just proud that they uh, they're just yeah. proud of the job they did, and uh, <laughs> they wanted to show their their, their co-workers uh, how well they did in this particular case. So no, I don't really think it is that much uh, that big a deal uh, to hang it in their office. I didn't interpret it as if the police uh, believes in these conspiracy theories or anything. Yeah, it was it was bad optics by the police, wasn't it? It's was like uh, yeah, it didn't just to have that uh, photograph uh, put up on a police on an official police account yeah i mean given there have actually been crimes committed against uh, nos journalists so not very yeah i don't not very clever really this week, a wave of protest, demonstrations and riots spread over the Netherlands, a new wave of incompetence spread over the government's efforts to tackle the coronavirus, and a wave of stolen sensitive personal information of thousands of Dutch men spread over the black market. Our focus today is, of course, the riots. Unless you've been living on an ice shelf in the Antarctic, you'll have noticed that the Netherlands has been having a few problems with riots this week. Oh, did we? Oh, didn't notice it. <laughs> it, it all started last Saturday after a curfew began, meaning it's now banned to go outside between 9pm and 4.30am. This curfew has been very controversial in the Netherlands, which has had pretty mild lockdowns so far. Anyway, demonstrations turned violent, with thousands of protesters throwing bricks and fireworks at the riot police, looting shops and damaging property. There have been just over 600 arrests and images of these riots have gone all over the world. Yeah. And do we know who was behind the rioting? Because it was spread out over a lot of different cities. It was, from Helene uh, to uh, to uh, Rotterdam <laughs> South. Yeah, to, to Zwolle. Yeah. To Urk. Yeah. Although not in the north. If you, if, you, if you want to have peace and quiet, go to Groningen or Drenthe. Yeah, there seemed to be a real correlation between people who say friet as opposed to uh, patat and uh, where the riots happened, right? Yeah. Well, it could, could be. I don't think we've asked them that question yet in the opinion polls, <laughs> but it, it seems it seems like it's a mixture of people. Politicians have called them all scum anyway, you'll be grateful to know. Yeah. Um, but there have been peaceful protests for months uh, now from virus deniers and people who think that any lockdown is too extreme. But now we're, we're seeing some far-right elements, maybe not unlike the Americans who stormed the Capitol but also a lot of bored young men spoiling for a fight. The Rotterdam mayor, Ahmed Aboutaleb, who is a hero, recorded a long video <laughs> message giving them and their parents a real talking to. Yeah, he did a real yes, kind of, sort of part of the city act, didn't he? Sort of just spoke straight into the camera and said, so are you proud of yourselves? You know, so all the phrases that you use to your kids, he basically just uh, bottled them up and uh, put them in the live video to the rioters. It was amazing. I felt yeah. like crying and I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. did, you, did he say, I'm not angry, but I'm disappointed? Not sure, but he definitely said, do you feel proud of yourself waking yeah. up with a bag of stolen goods next to your bed? Um, so uh, what did these protesters exactly target? And why is the Louis Vuitton handbag shop in Amsterdam South uh, boarded up? Yeah, I, I noticed that you were quite upset about that, Paul. What are you telling us? Um, <laughs> anyway, the uh, the most controversial target was actually Enschede Hospital, where protesters were throwing stones at the windows, apparently trying to break them. Um, Use in Urk on Saturday night also set alight a drive-in coronavirus test centre. But there was also looting in perfume shops, local supermarkets and stores, including some pretty low-rent ones. Anyway, yeah. this is why posh shops have been boarding up their windows. One thing also really got people upset. These protesters smashed up a car belonging to 78-year-old Omar Tony, Grandma Tony from Tilburg. Yeah. 
That's really sad. I felt really bad for her. So, uh, what's happened there? Well, they're not going to roll in the army, as uh, Geert Wilders has suggested. <laughs> uh, a stream of people have been appearing before the fast-track courts and getting actually pretty severe sentences like short jail terms. That's unusual here. <laughs> the police are also going after people who put messages on social media encouraging others to riot. Local football clubs have been offering to help keep the peace or spoiling for a fight. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> people have got together to clean glass off the streets and raise money to fix damaged shops. And most importantly, thanks to a bit of crowdfunding, Oma Tony has got enough to fix her car. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. There's been quite a few crowdfunders, actually, haven't there? There's another the shop um, owned by a woman called, what's she called, Micah, uh, who was on TV yeah. a lot. Um, really just crying in her shop that had been looted and just stripped clean by these rioters uh, there's a crowdfunder i think raised about a hundred thousand euros for her as well that's right for her primera the sort of sati- stationery and cigarette shop right? that's right she's yeah. a primera franchise holder yeah and she got a visit from the king uh, just this afternoon yes he needed a few fags <laughs> yeah indeed yeah but the question now is are these riots going to go on? Are we going to see this every weekend? Well, the curfew's going on until February the 10th, but the police have stepped up their presence on the streets. And um, I think we can also count on, what should we call it? Heaven's water cannon, the Dutch frame, <laughs> to, uh, to dampen uh, our enthusiasm for rioting. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, there, there was um, a guy as well uh, who was in the riots uh, called, um, yeah, he was on social media on Thursday called uh, Tegelzetta Marcel, who was quite prominent. He got an interview. To, to, have you seen the, the, all the coverage of him? He's had a couple of interviews. Sort of yeah. very, this guy, guy looks a bit like, actually, he looks a bit like sort of Michiel de Rauter, actually. He's got sort of long, <laughs> lank hair and a, a, a bit of a wispy beard going on. But he was saying, uh, he, he did, he, yeah. Yeah, but he was, um, he, he was filmed throwing a bike at a police van. So he picked it up off the street and chucked it at the van, and there was lots of pictures of him. So he, okay, he phoned his bike account and handed himself in and then he was interviewed by his local newspaper um, got a sort of a nice a nice, very nice flattering portrait on his paper funnily enough people who write in Skilders right never get this treatment in the media but, <laughs> yeah, and they said so they said he worried about going to prison and he said uh, well I am a bit but I just hope they don't do it till next week so I'm finishing off a bathroom <laughs> brilliant brilliant well the Dutch the Dutch police though are more into kind of an eye for an eye type punishment like when some kids vandalised some police vans a couple of years ago they made them all come in and wash the whole police fleet <laughs> did <Yeah>. they <laughs> fantastic <laughs> yeah indeed yeah and this whole wave of of, of riots started in Urk, right uh, yeah. on on saturday night when uh, the curfew uh, started um yeah and Urk is this this very peculiar little city in 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 in, in flavorland it used to be an island mm. and my suggestion is to just turn it back into an island and mm. turn it into the Netherlands own Australia and just move everyone who, who wants to riot there and uh, and wait wait for it to wait for it to be flooded by climate change exactly yeah, yeah it's only a matter of time problem solved yeah again heaven's water cannon solving and the I problem. also yeah <laughs> 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 indeed heaven's uh, super soaker yeah. and I also love that Hank Kroll on Saturday night, when the curfew started, he uh, he tweeted a screenshot of an of an of one of these webcams that are at, on Dam Square in Amsterdam, hmm. and he he pointed out that there were still a lot of people walking on the square over there, even though he, uh, in his street in Eindhoven everything was quiet. But of course, the day after that, on Sunday, the riots started in. I don't Indeed, so yeah, it's uh, that backfired very much. That uh, it was that a tweet. call to action. Do you think he'll get yeah. done for uh, sedition? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Is that there, there was a lot of uh, debate afterwards, wasn't there? Especially on uh, sun- on Sunday and Monday about whether the tweets by Thierry Baudet calling for people to stand up for their freedom um, and uh, Heer Wilders as well saying it's an unacceptable restriction, whether they contributed to the the violence. So, what do we think? Do you think that, that, that that's a valid argument? Uh, I think they contributed to the protests that we had seen on 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 Saturday and on yeah. Sunday. And in the beginning, they were quite quite peaceful, but uh, you know as as always, these sort of protests attract a lot of people who just want mm. to fight, and then it escalated into into these riots. But I I don't th- I don't necessarily think that that their tweets contributed to to the violence necessarily. No, and yeah. the, well, they've 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 stood back from them now, haven't they, and said they weren't in, inciting violence. And Geert Wilders is the one who wants to bring in the army. <laughs> well, I think yeah. yeah, they kind of rapidly reverse ferreted on it, didn't they? But I think I think in the build up to it, they did contribute to this atmosphere of you know distrust yeah. of the government and uh, being saying no, we will not accept um, a curfew. And I think the PFFA branch in Uruk said we'll do everything we can to stop this being enforced. So yeah, they did. I think yeah, th- 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 there was definitely yeah, yeah, th- th- just true. stoking this kind of distrust in the same way that Trump, you know, spent weeks telling his foreigners they were going to go and reclaim the capital, and then guess what? They went and actually physically went and attacked the place. So yeah, I think it was but, irresponsible I mean- of them. You can't discount the fact that we've got an election coming up, so all the opposition parties are going to be militating against the government in oh, general yeah. anyway, and each other. As, as they did. Because yeah, Hitler's first response, of course, was to blame, was to claim that all the rioters were, were Kroon Links voters. You yeah. know, but, but, yeah, apparently they're all very much into, you know, climate change control measures and windmills and, you know. I, I thought Geert Wilders was uh, was blaming the Moroccans. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, but he was. But he was also saying that, uh, that turning around to Jesse Claver and saying these are your th- th- these are your supporters. Moroccan supporters. Yes. Yeah, and what I also loved was in uh, the the riots in uh, on Sunday or Monday, I believe. In there, there were riots in Zwolle, and Zwolle has this medieval city center with these fortifications, with a couple of bridges leading over this uh, gracht surrounding the city center, uh, which used to be part of the city's defenses. And the police just uh, shut these bridges, trapping all these rioters uh, in the city center. So turns out that uh, that uh, medieval fortifications also work for uh, for curfew riots. So yeah. Um, yeah, it is. There was just another reason not to demolish these because they can be very useful <laughs> yeah, in indeed. these sort of circumstances. Yeah, it was like the siege of Leiden all over again. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but then in the, for the the other way around. Yes. Um, and I had to admit that this this outburst of violence, I I, I expected that to happen when uh, Domino Day was cancelled. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was the curfew that was the last straw. Well, I mean, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? I've never felt the need to go out after nine o'clock until now. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> now yeah. I just want to go out on the street and put my rubbish out without being fined. Now, that's the thing. See, you're supposed to when you put your rubbish out the night before, you're supposed to put it out after ten o'clock, right? Otherwise, you get a fine. Yeah. So good point. Yeah. Are you now supposed to? Are you now is this now some kind of like sort of double jeopardy where either you get fined for going out after nine or you get fined for putting your bins out too early well which fine is higher <laughs> we need thing. to know this yep we need a sliding scale dutch news will investigate and come back to you yeah we will uh, we will we will have an answer next week the Netherlands started its second round of vaccinations this week but it's still playing catch up with the rest of the european union by Wednesday, just over 185,000 people had received their first injection, so we've smashed through the 1% barrier. 
Well done, everybody. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. I think I should ring the church bells every time they get past another 1%. Yeah. <laughs> and have them wears in, let's be fair. And a further spanner was thrown in the works this week when Oxford-based AstraZeneca ran into production problems in Belgium. Um, I don't know if maybe they couldn't get the vaccines out by the Belgian roads, but anyway. <laughs> AstraZeneca said it would only be able to deliver 60% of the amount it previously agreed with the European Union in the first quarter of 2021, which drew some prickly responses from EU leaders. Ben van der Zeist, the former head of the Dutch Vaccine Institute, said this would inevitably impact on the Netherlands' vaccination schedule. He said, quote, The plan was to vaccinate an awful lot of people with this vaccine. Health Minister Hugo de Jonge has insisted the country can still complete the vaccination of all adults by the autumn, which means will probably be finished in 2024. That's optimistic. Yeah. It's very optimistic indeed, yeah. Um, and problems too with vaccinations, uh, uh, and there was also problems with vaccinations in nursing homes too, aren't there? Uh, yes, uh, the Home Nursing Association chief uh, Hans Baying told the Volkskrant that there are Kafka-esque situations emerging in nursing homes. Hmm. Uh, the plan is to vaccinate all nursing home residents first, but there are different classes of resident, of course. So th- this being the Netherlands, everyone's got. The, 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 I think they have like a sort of fazowling system basically in the nursing homes. Yeah. Uh, so one person might get the Pfizer vaccine from a care home nurse, but the person sitting opposite them is given the Moderna vaccine a few weeks later by their family doctor. The vaccination is being rolled out to over 90s living at home this week and over 85s next week. We're supposed to hit 30,000 vaccinations a day by mid-February, which is better than we're managing at the moment, about 10,000, but still way behind the rate of countries like the UK and Denmark. The government has also... Or, or, or a random... Pick a random anyone, country and any, we're probably doing the worst. Basically. Yeah. Yes, Bulgaria. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, the government has also extended the gap between doses to six weeks and is considering stretching it further to 12 weeks in order to speed up the process. What's happening to the number of coronavirus infections at the moment? Yeah, the numbers are still going down, but the rate slowed down quite a bit last week to around 8% uh, compared to the previous week, uh, which is in line with the predictions a lot of uh, virologists were making about the effect of the new, more virulent strains coming from places like the UK. Uh, The RIVM says that while the older strains have an R value of around 0.9, the B117 strain is taking over and has an R value of around 1.27. And remember, if the number's above 1, it means the virus is spreading faster than people are recovering, so the numbers will go up. Overall, the average figure is down below 5,000 a day and in the last couple of days the pace does seem to have picked up again but there are still 2,300 people in hospital and 650 in intensive care and that figure is still higher than the peak of the second wave at the start of November so yeah the numbers are still basically far too high and that means that when the government holds its next press conference on Tuesday they haven't got much scope to ease the lockdown no yeah as you said we will probably uh, still be in lockdown in, in 2024 <laughs> um, god yeah it's uh, shameful how <laughs> how bad everything is going in this country with regards to the uh, to the coronavirus yeah kind of everything that can go wrong basically has gone wrong so far hasn't it i mean they, yeah. they haven't got enough vaccines and the vaccines they have are not getting distributed out and they seem to have basically um, bet all their chips on the astrazeneca vaccine which turns out to have been quite a bad move now that astrazeneca aren't delivering to the european union in the numbers they were expecting and there's this big, yeah. big fight, of course, between the EU and the company about whether they um, whether they made actual um, hard promises or just aspirations to deliver the vaccines. Yeah, hopefully Janssen will save us all. Yes, Janssen and Janssen. Uh, in, in the meantime, I'm counting on the curfew. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah the, the only possible thing that could go wrong 
uh, after all of this is, I don't know, a massive data breach or something? Yeah, so the, well, luckily, uh, yeah, that, that's not very likely, is it? No. <laughs> no. Oh, not in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> If you like your news fresher than a deep-frozen vaccine and sharper than a Gartenkordel snowball, you can help us keep up the delivery schedule by sponsoring us on Patreon. All new patrons get a shout-out on the show by way of thanks, and the chance to ask us a question about any burning issues or just the quirks of living in the Netherlands. And, and whether your data's uh, safe when you go to the healthcare centre, which turned out to be quite important. <laughs> More importantly, you gain our eternal gratitude and the satisfaction of knowing you're keeping the Dutch News podcast crew and their bicycles well-oiled. Which if makes like it easier for rioters to throw them into the street, right? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. yeah. And burn them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the bicycle barricades is the image of 2021, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we completely forgot to mention that in the, in the, in the, in the, in the riot section about yeah. the barricades of bicycles. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. just piles of bikes with, with the tires burning. Uh, smoldering yeah, away exactly. yeah, in front of the police if you'd like to join our select band of podcast sponsors log on to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutch news n-l with less than two months to go to the general election the 9pm curfew the child benefit scandal and the resignation of the entire cabinet does not seem to have any impact on voters a new poll by INO Research shows another poll by Eén Vandaag which also came out this week confirms this and if nothing changes the coming weeks the current coalition will be able to remain in power with 81 seats in parliament compared to the 75 it has now coalition parties D66 and CDA are both down on their position at the 2017 general election, but prime sorry, the missionary Prime Minister Mark Rutte's favorite day party is set to gain 11 seats and win 42 seats or 28% of the vote. Yeah, it seems to me officially Mark Rutte is now the demissionary Prime Minister, right? He's not he's not the real Prime Minister anymore. Yeah, the caretaker. Yeah, I don't the think demissionary is yeah. a real word in English, but it's uh, how we call it in the Netherlands, at least. It sounds like he's spreading uh, Christianity across the <laughs> or or, or despreading uh, Christianity. Yes, yeah, 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 she's promoting onselling. That that's the finally. that's the role of the riots, isn't it? Um, but yeah. but nobody who talks about him on TV or anything they they mention that he is the uh, caretaker prime minister now. Uh, do they say that on, for example, News Uur Gordon? You you always watch that every day? No, not usually. I think they just call him the Prime Minister. Yeah, exactly. Even though on previous occasions when we had a caretaker cabinet, they would always say yeah. that he was a demissionary Prime Minister. Yeah, well, he did He did say they are still missionary on Corona, which uh, sounds... Yeah, exactly. Sounds very, very odd. <laughs> so, sounds slightly <laughs> ominous when you say it in English, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, other parties seem to be very stable in the polls as well, with no big changes in the past few weeks. Geert Wilders PVV party is currently polled to be the second largest party, with 20 seats, according to the poll of polls, which we always uh, look at. The poll by, um, what's his name? Tom Lauwers. Tom Lauwers, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Peilingwijzer. GroenLinks is polled at 12 seats, as well as the Partij voor de Arbeid, which does not seem to benefit from the change in leadership right now, uh, because last week Liliane Plume took over as the party leader from Lodewijk Ascher, who resigned after a growing number of party members lost their trust in him because of his involvement in the child benefit scandal. The question I'm wondering is, after all this, how big is the chance that these elections are going to be postponed anyway because of the pandemic? 
Well, that chance is very low, according to Interior Minister Kasia Lundgren. To deal with the pandemic, extra measures will be taken, she told the Tweede Kamer. Uh, for example, the election will be spread over three days instead of one, so voters can cast their ballot on March 15, 16th and 17 in 11,000 polling stations across the country. 75% of the municipalities have said they already have enough people to man the polling stations on all three days, and 60 municipalities will use special tents in order to ensure enough distance can be maintained are they going to use the same tents um, that we use to host all the uh, lockdown parties uh, <laughs> on, uh, outside the parliament yeah there will be a huge uh, uh, voting tent uh, on the plane in the hague indeed yeah we can all we can all put some great music on and dance away as we uh, as we vote because we're not allowed to cheer that would be too dangerous but you can yes. dance yeah and yeah. we can't sing that's also not allowed right mm. No. And also 40 municipalities will use drive through polling stations where people can vote while remaining in their car. I really want to do that. So I mm. hope that Delft will uh, <laughs> will have one of these uh, polling stations. And Gordon, you're, you're legal as well. Can you, but can you yes. vote? <laughs> I can't vote, no, but oh. so sadly. But you can drive to the polling station anyway, just for fun. Well, the thing is, yeah, my oldest son is going to be uh, 18, but not till May, sadly. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I could have driven him to cast his vote. Yeah, and people over the age of 70 will be allowed to mail their votes, even though only 28% uh, have said they will actually do this. A poll said only 5% of people will not vote at all, and uh, only a few of them have indicated that is because of the pandemic. So uh, the effects of the pandemic on people's willingness to vote seems to be very low. Mm. Uh, And 80% said they will definitely vote, and most of them think it can be done safely. Experts, however, expect that the third wave uh, will hit the Netherlands around March, so that is exactly around the time that we'll have the elections. Mm. And uh, Kasia Lundgren told the Tweede Kamer that the government is prepared to postpone the election if necessary, and that would mean that uh, the new election date will be at the start of June. So your son can vote then. So hopefully the elections will be postponed. Yeah, exactly. That would be good if that happened. Uh, well, from his point of view, anyway. Not not for anybody else, but I'm going to be purely selfish. <laughs> and then we can enjoy our unmissionary, demissionary, whatever <laughs> government for a yeah, lot longer. Because will continue to be demissionary uh, for a while. Uh, after. It, it sounds like a strange sexual position. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. It really does. Demissionary corona. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is quite staggering because um, if these polls turn out to be accurate, it means the same four parties could form the government again. I mean, that's never happened, has it? That exactly the same combination of parties gets in. Not in recent history, no. No, no, no. Yeah. Usually, if I remember correctly, the second cabinet of Koch, Wim Koch, yeah. uh, was almost the same, but I think they swapped one of the minor parties. Yeah, but it, I mean, this is a bit of an unhappy marriage, though, this this set of four. They're quite different from quite libertarian to quite religious. It's not a combi, combi that you would normally order with your chips. No, 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 definitely. Mm. And I think of all the parties, I think Desa is the most uncomfortable with the coalition. Uh, so I can see VVD, CDA and uh, ChristenUnie to uh, join the, a new coalition, but they can just swap another party for, for Desa Sester mm. with another one. And then they still have a majority. So yeah, Desa Sester can get out if they want, and then they just have to find another one who is willing to, uh, to join their coalition. Yeah, because uh, Labour and Kuhn Links have said that they won't go in on their own, that uh, one of the other parties, or Labour has said that either Kuhn Links or SP have to come in with them. That's true, but Labour has a new leader now, don't they? Yes, indeed. But I think she's but she, she's reiterated that, I think. I think she was asked about it and she said that's still our my party's policy. But this is, this is very cumbersome, this whole four-party coalition. Paul, ha- have there been many coalitions of so many parties in the past in the Netherlands? 
Uh, in recent history, no. Um, but before the CDA was was formed in 1980, I believe uh, there were all these minor uh, Christian parties, and uh, that meant that before 1980s, when there wasn't a coalition, then sometimes there were three or four parties involved. But no, in recent history, no. Four is a very large number for a coalition in the Netherlands. Yeah. Two people have been arrested for selling private information gleaned from regional health board databases used to share details of people who have had a coronavirus test, police confirmed on Tuesday. The two men are among a larger group of people thought to be accessing the confidential information and selling it to third parties. More arrests have not been ruled out, police said in a statement. RTL News had been investigating the sale of personal information via health board networks and reported its findings to the GGD Health Board Association earlier this month. RTL says not only names, addresses and phone numbers, but also personal BSN numbers are up for sale. And the BSN number is... Your social security number. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the the number you use to communicate with the uh, with the government. The information comes from two different databases. One is used in contact tracing, and one for people who have been tested. And I just saw a number. I think six million people in the Netherlands have tested for coronavirus in the past months. So yeah, this database has almost 6 million people in it and uh, 600,000 people were investigated in the contact tracing. So yeah, so many people are in this database and everybody just could just access it and sell this, sell this information. It's crazy. But why would it be why would it be useful to have the these BSN numbers? I mean uh, to commit to I don't know, child benefit fraud or something? <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Yeah, you could steal someone's uh, identity with this information and then do it. Yeah, it, 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 I mean we're joking about it, but someone could do that indeed. And also for example, if if you want to I don't know, stalk someone, then you can just uh, f- uh, buy someone's information and you have their phone number and their address. I don't know. Mm. Or, you can, or you can just set up a company in someone else's name because you've got all their personal yeah. details. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So dozens of sources have been uh, offering information from the databases for sale via services like Telegram, Snapchat, and Wicker. I wasn't aware that Wicker was a thing, but apparently it is. I thought it's um, just the shields that the police use to uh, protect them against rioters. <laughs> I never heard about it, so I, I don't know. Um, some accounts are offering to look for information about a specific person, RTL said, uh, that costs between 30 euros and 50 euros, and it will get someone's name, email address, phone number, and also the BSN number. Other accounts offer bigger data sets involving thousands of names or specific attributes, such as people living in Amsterdam or over 50s. The two men, aged 21 and 23, were arrested this weekend. Uh, both worked for the health board uh, call center used to track down the contacts of people who have tested positive for coronavirus. The health board association was not aware of the illegal data trade and has now immediately taken further measures. Employees will also have to submit a certificate of good conduct and sign mm. a confidentiality agreement, director André Rauvoet said in a statement. Random checks are also being carried out among employees and system monitoring will be skilled up. But um, yeah, MPs asked questions about this to uh, Hugo de Jonge in Parliament yesterday, I believe. And mm. the journalist who uncovered this scandal, um, uh, Daniel Verlaan, he was live tweeting with the live stream and he uh, was commenting on, on the misleading or sometimes untrue answers Hugo de Jonge was giving to MPs. So yeah, we will definitely hear more about this uh, later, I think. How, sc- how scared should we be? Well, I haven't done a corona test yet, so I don't have to be scared at all. But if you have, then probably your personal information is being sold right now. That's just the reality.
Yeah, it is worrying that uh, that, that, that your personal information could be accessed so easily. And uh, they said, uh, I was just uh, looking at a thing on the NOS website, which I think is based on another ATL further investigation, that these um, records have been available since they started the testing system nine months ago, and they've only just found out about it. Well, they say they just found out about it, but uh, yeah. They've just made it public, yeah. They just made it public. Yeah, there were a lot of warnings, and they probably didn't do anything with it. So it's another another great success to chalk up to the uh, Netherlands coronavirus. Uh, exactly. Card. Yeah, we are very careful, uh, carefully uh, uh, <laughs> vaccinating everyone, and we're also very careful in uh, in yeah. the Corona uh, track and trace uh, systems. Apparently, yeah, it's um, you know. We just talked about uh, everything that went wrong uh, in the past nine months. And every time you think, oh, this cannot possibly get any worse, then there's always a new episode, apparently, where... Yeah, there's always something else that, that goes even worse from. But it, it just seems astonishing to me that, that they had so much discussion about privacy issues when they were des- developing the apps. And uh, yeah. it was constantly going back and forth. And Parliament said to the they said Hugo de Jong, you've got to go back and tighten up the security on this. And all this while, they had this glaring security breach staring them in the face. And nobody seemed to, to see fit to take action on it. Yeah, it's just crazy, isn't it? It's just, yeah. I can't find another word for it. It's just crazy. Lads, I've got some better news for you because one thing that the Dutch government has come up with we can be truly proud of. It's actually called Mm. This Is How We Do It. And you or I might think that this was actually a mid-90s R&B song. This is how we do it. It's about having fun and going out. Well, actually, this is the name of a Dutch government website, They Do It So. Which tells you how to have safe fun during this lockdown. So, so it's having fun and staying in. You can have one guest a day. Yeah. You can't shout or scream. You need to disinfect everything around you. Actually, there was a civil servant who got national headlines last year for talking very earnestly about having a sex buddy. And I secretly suspect <laughs> that this uh, chap or chap ass has been let loose again. <laughs> Yeah, I do feel like there's an Amtanar out there whose entire career had been built up to this, <laughs> building up to this moment. This is the, the highlight of their entire life. But um, I mean, if I want to go around and watch a football match at a mate's house, uh, are there detailed instructions on how to do that? Uh, there were. There was some really helpful <laughs> advice there about individual snack bowls and having klaxons and putting on yeah. some music and having a dance when someone scores a goal so you don't shout yeah. dangerously and spread coronavirus. But um, the government decided it wasn't responsible when people <laughs> found it and started taking the mickey out of it online last week. Yeah, wasn't there suddenly a run on sales of rattles? Because they suggest to go out and buy a rattle. And no one's taken a rattle to a football match since 1967, I think. So... <laughs> So, a bit of an own goal then. Uh, Anyway, I'm really keen to cook a delicious meal for Molly this week. We miss her so much now she abandoned the podcast. So, what can I do? Luckily, there's a bit of advice for you there, Paul. Number one, you need to cook the food properly. No poisoning your guest. She needs to have an individual soap. And you also need to disinfect the loo properly before and after her visit. Did the government really write this down? They really wrote this Mm. down. And they also said that if you just decide to have a meeting via Zoom, you need to deliver Molly a party pack with food, a party (laughs) hat and some uh, party tutors, maybe for her dog. The fun never ends. Whee! Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, there's another section as well. I think about having birthday parties. They said obviously you can't have a birthday party. You can't have your friends all over for a party, but you can do it on Zoom, and then you can have a tat moment. They said, which is uh, just it, uh, you can play escape room. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you can play an escape no. room even though you're all in different houses. Like, I don't know, you, you can escape your Zoom. Uh, yeah, you can escape the Netherlands by unlocking the code which is included in your KK Day records that have been hacked yeah. into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if I would give my birthday party during lockdown, I would just buy 15 laptops and just put them in a circle in my room and everybody can just uh, zoom in and then just look at uh, whoever is uh, opposite of your laptop. So the government's given us all these detailed recommendations uh, for what people can do uh, rather than what they can't. Uh, so has it? Uh, have you found any inspiration here, Shen? Gordon, it's um, it inspired me to stay in and sob quietly into a large glass of wine. <laughs> okay, but make sure that you don't share the glass, right? <laughs> Des- disaffect the glass before you share it with anyone. Maybe you can use the alcohol which is in it to to yes. dinner. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's large. Sports news. Tom Dumoulin rocked the world of cycling this week when he announced he was taking an indefinite break from the sport. Dumoulin broke the news to his Jumbo Fisma teammates on Sunday. He said the high expectations had killed his enthusiasm and in a desire to please his teammates, his sponsors, his fans and his family, he'd forgotten about himself. Dumoulin said it felt like a hundred kilo backpack had fallen from his shoulders when he told his team and that they supported his decision. He plans to spend the next few months talking to friends, taking his dog for walks, and just generally thinking very hard about his future. And he hasn't ruled out getting back in the saddle if he rediscovers his élan. In 2017, the 30-year-old became the first Dutchman to win the Giro d'Italia, and he was seen in recent years as a potential winner of the Tour de France, but he also struggled for form after injuring his knee in a crash in the 2019 Giro. His decision to step back drew widespread praise from the cycling community. Thijs Sonnefeld, a journalist and former amateur tour cyclist, said it was a timely reminder that riders weren't robots, but people of flesh and blood, uh, but also with uh, lots of uh, strange chemicals flowing around their systems. (laughs) And and other people's blood. (laughs) (laughs) Dumoulin is the latest sportsman to speak out about the psychological toll of performing at the top level. Marco van Basten quit as coach of Azad Alkmaar in 2015 because the stress of the job was affecting his health. Per Mertes Saka, a German defender who played for Arsenal, gave a candid interview to Der Spiegel at the end of his career about the anxiety attacks that were brought on by what he called the inhumane pressure to perform. And we'll link to that interview in the liner notes. Yeah, so that that, that was uh, kind of a Tom Dumoulin there, just showing the human side of uh, top sportsmen. Do you think that his uh, bicycle was one of the ones that got burnt? <laughs> yeah, so maybe it was chucked against a police van. That's why he couldn't uh, finish the Tour de France. But it is a, it's a debate that's come up quite a lot recently, the pressures put on sports people to perform and whether that's healthy young people, young gymnasts, sports people in general. Yeah, definitely. And all the kind of power structures in sports. And you've had, uh, there's been a whole scandal going on this year about uh, gymnastics and uh, all the, you know, because gymnastics obviously is a sport that people start when they're very young. And there's lots of been abuse, psychological abuse and sadly sexual abuse um, in the gymnastic community. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, and also because sports become so much more professionalized now and so much more kind of micromanaged, you know, what you eat, when you sleep, every minute, every hour of your day, I think is sort of, di- is, is directed now by a whole team of, um, um, uh, sports psychologists and physiotherapists and uh, dietitians, and yeah, I think it makes it—it's unrelenting. And it's so monetized as well, not just for you, but for your for your whole family. Yeah, your whole family and your team and all the sponsors are you know, depending on you basically to keep pedaling in order to make money for them. So yeah, I think the stress is getting really really severe. 
I I uh, remember this documentary about uh, I, I believe it was the Jumbo team uh, in the uh, Tour de France. I'm not exactly sure which team it, it was, uh, but the, the the cyclists they whenever they stepped off their bike they would immediately have to drink this amount of uh, of of energy drink and then they have yeah. to go to the hotel and uh, exactly the amount of rice they need and the, exactly the amount of vegetables they they must eat was was weighed to the gram. It it was yeah. very very strict and i mean i can imagine that that's not a fun way to live if if everything that is that you do and uh eat and uh, whenever you sleep is decided for you by this yeah. team of experts that uh yeah basically is are leading your life yeah you almost become a kind of organic machine don't you yeah. i mean it used to be that uh, when, when when sport was uh, less uh, as intense as this you know you always got a couple of breaks out of season so you'd have a month you know, a month or so um in between seasons when you could just relax and do your own thing and now you, you carry on having to train and eat these special diets and it, it just never stops. I have a perfect solution for every uh, sportsman and sportswomen that just don't want to uh, have the stress of, uh, of winning every competition they do. They just have to switch to becoming a professional Elfstedentocht ice skater. Ah, and very they good. won't have any stress at all for the rest no. of their life. Yeah, you got the stress in every sort of December, January when everyone th- well, when it gets a bit cold and everyone thinks the Excel State toss is going to is going to happen this year and then it doesn't. Exactly, and that's only yeah. two <laughs> days in in the year that you have stress. And then yeah, you you have a stress-free life for the rest of the year. Sofa surfing. <laughs> it's also a very safe sport. Lots of cake. Yeah. <laughs> I can recommend yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. Uh, you can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Tarek and Sinead Bostas. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. Well, last week your 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 head kept disappearing and reappearing, and that was the the most frightening thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like a horror movie. It's like, it's like a yeah, dick, it really was. It's something like a dick mass film.